Well, a few weeks ago, we began a series in the book of James. And as we've been going through this book, that's talked a lot about trials and suffering and how God is at work in and through those things to refine and grow us up. I've received uh, several notes from those in the congregation that have said, this has been a very timely series. It's helped me to understand some of the things that have happened in my life in the past or really some of the things we're going through right now. In this series, um, my wife warned me. She said, you know, whenever you preach about trials or suffering, that seems to increase. And uh, we've seen we've seen that, you know, spike in our congregation. There have been a couple of very severe accidents. Uh, We've had people airlifted to the hospital. We've had um, people go home to be with the Lord just uh, Friday. There was a young mom in our church in early 40s, a mother of seven, who went home to be with the Lord, and I was with the family all day yesterday. Her her memorial, Melody Huerta, will be uh, this Wednesday at 10 o'clock here, and then you all know Walt Olson went home to be with the Lord. His memorial will be Saturday at 11 a.m. here. So we've we've seen these things happening, and with, with all that's been going on, I've not been able to really fully finish the message today, and while I could preach the message that you see in your bulletin, what I want to do is uh, delay that till next week. And uh, I want to go back to the well and just pull out a sermon that some of you have heard in the past. It's out of Mark chapter 6 and verses 30 through 44. So you can turn from James over to Mark. And um, as we're looking at this passage, it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And let me set the context for you. As we look at this, in verse 7, it says that Jesus called the disciples together. Now, if you've read that account, you know that what Jesus did was he commissioned them, he sent them out to do ministry, and he gave them his power and authority. And as they go out to do the ministry, what verse 30 tells us as we pick up our passage today, it says, And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, these guys have, have been out doing ministry. And as, as they return, it says they're excited. They're excited about all that's been happening. But it also tells us, as we're going to see in this passage, that, that Jesus sees that they're tired. Now, as they're excited, uh, I know exactly what this passage feels like. Uh, I know what it feels like just about all the time, but this week especially. I mean, there's so many exciting things happening. You just saw us baptize three individuals. There's going to be two more. In the next service, they're all adults. I love baptizing children, but I'm especially excited when it's adults. These are men and women who uh, are at a stage in life where they're saying, you know, I really want my life to count. And we've, we've got the two adult ladies and three adult men who are saying, uh, I, want, I want my life to count. As I said, this man that you saw, Daniel, uh, came to faith, and his, his wife and three young children were there as we prayed, and that was so exciting for him. Uh, just to be making that commitment as uh, the leader in his home. And uh, I mentioned that there are a couple others who have come to faith in Christ. There was a young woman the week before that, a 23-year-old Jehovah's Witness, a uh, young woman, and you all know how hard that is in that family context. Uh, we've actually gotten a call from the family saying she's confused and we're a cult and she shouldn't be here and those type of things. But the way that this young woman came to the church was because two of our other young ladies uh, in the Momentum Ministry, our, our singles, young singles ministry, were getting their nails done. So if you've ever wondered, can your nails be redemptive? Um, <clears throat> I've never gotten a, a manicure or pedicure. Maybe I should try that as a new evangelism opportunity. I don't know. 
But these two young women were out, and uh, they met this lady who was doing their nails, and they began talking, and they invited her to church. And one of the women went to pick her up and brought her. And after that service, uh, the first sermon on James, she was hearing about, you're, you're not saved by works, but through faith. And she came up after the service, and literally two and a half hours later, this woman who brought her and this other woman, we, we had to leave the sanctuary because they were locking the building. We went over to my office, and just question after question after question, two and a half hours later, she said, you know, I, I understand that Jesus is the true Messiah, and I want to receive him. And then there's a, yeah, you can clap. That's exciting news. And another young man we're baptizing in the second service. Uh, he's, a, he's going to SMU Law School, leaving next week. And Michael had the privilege, again, through our, our young college and singles ministry to meet this man, impact him. And his name was Zachary, and he came to faith. And so God is doing lots of great things. And what I want you to hear is it's not just what's happening in here. It's because of what y'all are doing out there. You're taking the messages. When I tell you to, to go out there and be the church in the community, you're doing it. And so these are individuals who are being brought or impacted by waysiders who are out there, who are coming here and encountering the living Christ. Uh, right after the second service, we've got a phone interview with a, a candidate for our men's and leadership position. So we're, we're down to uh, three finalists and Right after that, we have the town hall meeting at 4 o'clock, and you can see why I haven't really been able to spend as much time on the message that I want. And these are all great things that are happening, and they're exciting things. And as the disciples are doing this, they're excited. But as I said, Jesus says, I can see that you're tired. As, as you look at it, uh, Jesus says they're giving their reports, and, and he sees they're excited but tired. Now, Jesus knows firsthand how tiring ministry can be because in Matthew eight twenty four, if you read that passage, you see that Jesus was so exhausted. He was fully God and yet fully man. And it says he was asleep in the back of a boat during an enormous storm. I mean, imagine those ice-cold waves washing over you, and it doesn't even wake him up. That's how dead tired he was. So as Jesus looks at the disciples, he says to them in verses 31 through 33, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves, and the people saw them going, and many recognized them. And they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Now, I want you to picture this scene in your mind for a moment. Jesus says, you guys are tired. You need a rest. So we're going to get in this fishing boat, probably belong to one of the disciples or their associates. And he says, we're going to go across the sea here to a lonely place on the northern shore where Bethsaida is. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and you know the geography. On one side is the, sea of, is the city of Tiberias, a very large city. And on the other side is what's called the Decapolis. It's ten cities. And so as the disciples are sailing up and they're passing the shoreline, there's all these people who look in the water and they say, It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And, and they're kind of following along by the shore. And, and as they're going, people are like, where are you going? Well, that's Jesus. And so as they're going through the cities, you can imagine the crowd growing and growing as they're going along. Now, they get to what was supposed to be a lonely little uh, fishing village, a little respite spot. And as the boat is coming to shore, it says there is a crowd of thousands that are waiting. Now, if you were in the boat, what would you have done? You know? 
I'm not always that spiritual. I think I probably would have said, let's turn this thing around. You know, let's head the other way. And as the crowd starts following you down the shore going the other way, you start tacking back and forth. You know, we'll wear them out eventually, right? They're not going to be able to keep up. But Jesus has a different reaction. Jesus didn't say that. Now, just in case you haven't fully uh, appreciated the scene for a minute, I want you to think of it this way. Imagine you've been working nonstop. It's been not just one week, but a series of weeks, seven-day work weeks, multiple hours, things have been busy, and finally you have a weekend away coming. And so you gather your family together or you gather some friends together and you say, you know, there's this secluded lake house that I've got to, to use, and we're going to drive out there, and we're just going to have a weekend resting. And so you drive down this tree-lined road, and as you're c- coming around the last bend, and you see the, this secluded lake house, what you suddenly notice is there's a huge crowd of people standing there in the driveway. Now, the teachers know what it's like right now. They're in in service. Some schools are starting Monday. Some have already started. Others are about to. And so you know these classrooms are about to be filled with children. Well, imagine it was the last day of school, and you got off, and you were about to go on this little break. And as you drive down this road, what you see there is uh, a group of your kids all waving their papers, saying, we're glad you're here. You can help us with our homework. And when you're done with us, the parents all want to have parent-teacher conferences. Or maybe you're a mechanic. And so what you see instead is a long line of cars leaking every fluid known to man. (laughs) You might be in the tech field, so what you see instead are a bunch of people holding computers and PDAs and everything you can imagine. And they're all going, this thing has crashed and this needs to be updated and I have these viruses. Are you feeling your time away of rest suddenly slipping away? That's what the disciples see. Remember, Jesus said, there's so many people and there's all these ministry needs. And what I want you to do is withdraw from the people so we can go away and just have a little time of respite for you. But instead, it says, there's this crowd. Now, as I said, we would want to get back on the boat. Let's turn this boat around. Let's get out of here. But look at verse 34, because Jesus has a different response to the crowd. It says, and when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, to understand this statement, they were like sheep without a shepherd, you only have to look at verses 17 through 28, because there it tells us that King Herod has just killed John the Baptist. Do you remember John the Baptist? He was this prophet who was out in the wilderness area. And people were coming to him, and he was calling them to repentance. And as his ministry was growing and as people were going out there, one of the things Herod was preaching against is Herod and how he had married the sister, uh, the, hus- the, the wife of his, um, yeah, the brother's wife. <laughs> Thank you. Did I say I was tired? Um, so anyway, he, he's, he's got this woman that wasn't, shouldn't have been his wife. And John says, uh, let's pull back the, the curtain and say this is wrong. And so she wanted John dead. Herod had him arrested. And you know the story how she ultimately asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so John has been killed. And he was the pastor. He was the shepherd. He was the leader of this flock. Not only the people who have run from the cities to get there, but all these people who had been out in the wilderness. So they are truly sheep without a shepherd. 
And Jesus feels compassion for these people. And he begins to teach them. And verses 35 through 36 tell us that as this has been going on for quite some time, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, the place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, this seems like a reasonable and caring request, doesn't it? They say, Lord, it's going to be dark soon. Remember, you're in a rural area. There are no lights. There's, these people are out there in the middle of nowhere. And he says they're hungry. They're going to be tripping over things in the dark. They haven't eaten all day. They're going to be fainting from hunger on the way home. We, we need to just dismiss the crowds and send them out. Now, when is the last time you were in a church service where the ushers had to come down the aisles and say, it's way past lunchtime. You know, we're going to have to ask you all to leave. It's time to go. I mean, I know you've been here all day, but it's, it's really time to go. You know, what preachers usually see are people going, does, does he know what time it is? Doesn't he know the service is supposed to be over? Don't worry, I'll let you out so you can beat the Baptist to lunch. I won't keep you here all day. But these are the people. They're excited. They're learning. They're at the Lord's feet. And the disciples finally come to him. Now, remember, to their credit, they've let Jesus teach probably all day. And now they come to him and they say, Lord, this is supposed to be our time. You, you, you said we were going away just to have some private time with you and to refresh. And, and instead, what you're doing is, is you're once again ministering to everybody. And look at how Jesus responds to them. He says in verse 37, But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Remember they said the people are hungry, they need to go get food. And Jesus says, You know what? You guys feed them. Now, in the Greek text, it's, it's actually a very strong statement here. It's called the emphatic position. And what Jesus literally says, have you ever seen the old Uncle Sam poster that has, you know, that kind of bony finger pointing at, at you, and it says, I want you? That's what Jesus does. He says, you, you feed them. You give them something to eat. Now, I think the reason this takes place is from what we saw in verse 30. Because there it says the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him what? All that they had done and taught. You see, Jesus as the master teacher seizes this moment. The guys are excited. They begin to believe their own press, so to speak. They're, you know, we've had this great run of ministry. We've been doing these great miracles. We've seen these successes. Do you remember why they were able to do all that? It said earlier, Jesus commissioned them. He gave them his power. He gave them his authority. And so these guys are at a point where Jesus says you're on dangerous ground because you're starting to believe maybe it's all about you and what you can do. So he says, let's just remind you of where your true dependence is. So he says, okay, there's this, this enormous need, and I want you. I want you to meet it. Now, look at how they respond in verse 37. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? A denarius was the common day laborer's wage. And so uh, remember, Matthew was a tax collector. And so immediately he's kind of checking the crowd out, counting the people. He pulls out his little abacus. How much is it going to cost to feed these people? He shows it to the disciples. He says, 200. 
200 denarii. The guys are all checking their pockets, you know, how much you got, I don't know. You know, even if they could find enough stores and shops and people to have the food. You see, their first reaction isn't, oh, Lord, we, we really do need you. Their first reaction is, okay, well, what can we do? And so they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, 200 denarii. That's what it's going to take. It's a rhetorical question. Uh, he expects Jesus to say, oh, you guys are right. What was I thinking? I mean, that's a huge request. Of course not. Too much sacrifice to feed these people. You know, when we are faced with a ministry opportunity, how many times are we just like the disciples? How many times do we hear about a need or an opportunity? And our first response is, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me in terms of time? I hear the children's ministry needs workers again. Well, if, if I go and serve over there, well, then that means I can't go to my ABF or then I have to choose if I'm going to go to worship service. And, you know, if I do come, then I'm not going to get to see my friends. And, you know, I've been working all week and I just need a break. And is that how we respond? Sometimes we hear about a need, a, a missionary support letter comes in our mailbox, or we hear about a project at the church or the budget or various things, and we immediately go, you know, I've got all these needs and bills and this, and, and, and the church wants my money, and what? how much is it going to cost me? Is that how we approach a ministry need? Do we immediately look at our resources and then say, you know, Maybe it's even just like the disciples. We can meet the need, but we're kind of like them saying, you know, Lord, when is it going to be about me? You know, we're told that they're ministering to all these people, and now there's another crowd of thousands in front of them, and they said, Lord, this is supposed to be our time. You know, Wayside, as you watch all the new faces coming through the door here, aren't there times that you feel like a stranger in your own church? You, you kind of look around and you go, who are all these people? I don't know anybody anymore. I hear that a lot from individuals sometimes. And while some are super excited saying, you know, look at all the new life and the changed life, like the stories I just told you. Sometimes, honestly, deep down inside, we just kind of think, Lord, what about me? When, when is it my time? When do I get to be fed? When do we get to focus on me and my needs? Now, as I say that, I, I want to share with you a new need here at Wayside. And you're thinking, well, Roger, didn't you just hear what you just said? Cause... <laughs> but here's a need that I think you will be excited about. It, we live in a, a city, a military city. And as you know, militaries... Uh, marriages are under stress, not only with all the deployments and the other things that are happening, but if you're unaware of this, active duty military have one of the highest divorce rates of any demographic in this nation. And what we're going to do here at Wayside Chapel is something called Operation Date Night. And on Friday, October 10th, we're going to have a night where we are going to take a hundred active duty military couples, that's 200 people, a hundred couples, and we're limiting the size because of the limit of our facilities. And what we're going to do is over in Fellowship Hall, we're going to set up a, a nice banquet, tables with white linens, uh, a nice meal over there. And we are going to invite a hundred active duty military uh, couples. We're going to provide child care because, as you know, resources are very limited often for military 
And so we're going to have them come to Wayside. We're going to feed them a nice dinner. We're going to take care of their kids for the evening. And we are bringing in a nationally known couple, uh, Barb, Dr. Barb, uh, Dr. Gary Rossberg and his wife, Barb, with America's Family Coaches. They, they go over all around the U.S. Uh, speaking to military couples. They were recently in Houston with uh, President George Bush uh, doing a similar event there. And they're going to come here and we're going to give them a nice meal, a night where they can focus just on their marriage. And they're going to hear a message that applies to them. And it's not just this one night. What we want to do from this is uh, start a series of small groups that will minister to these couples. And it's not just Wayside. We're going to do this in partnership with other churches in the city. And there will be a training event the following day where some are going to teach uh, those who want to be small group leaders and how to be marriage champions, so to speak, coaches for these couples. So this isn't about just give them one nice night and then kick them back out and say, good luck. We want to use this as the first step in serving those who serve our nation and serve our city. And so what that means is there's an opportunity to serve. The meal, the speaker, those things are all taken care of. The training for small groups, that's taken care of. But what we need are those who are willing to say, I will give one night to come and provide child care for these kids. Now, our children's ministries, you know, we don't do just glorified babysitting. We do discipleship and ministry. And they've already been preparing a wonderful curriculum and events to be reaching the kids of these couples as well. And they, won't, they will be training and they will have people in the rooms who will be able to help you succeed in doing this. So what we need after this service in the foyer there's a table that you can go to and sign up. You can sign up to be one of the child care workers. You can sign up to be a greeter. You can sign up to be a host at one of the tables. There are various things that you can look at. And I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I don't want you just to say, oh, he's going to guilt me into doing it. Don't do that. This is an opportunity for us to serve. It may be that you're here today and you're saying, you know, Roger, I am... I am full up with service opportunities. I really cannot do one more thing, and I understand that. You've heard me say before that when we say yes to something, it's no to something else. And it may be that you're not able to. Sometimes you have to say no to good opportunities, but other times what we need to ask ourselves is the reason we're thinking no is because it's what I can do or based upon my power or ability or my margin And in those times, we need to be reminded, as the disciples were here, that ministry is really done in dependence on God. It's not based upon what we can do. It's not based upon what we can do. It's what God can do in and through us. As we're about to see, the disciples were reminded of what they needed to do and who they needed to go to. One of the reasons they were so worn out is they were trying to do it all on their own ability. So Jesus says to them in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go, look. And when they found out, they came and they said, five and two fish. We have five dinner rolls and two fish, a couple of stinky sardines and some stale bread. The Gospel of John tells us where this comes from. It's a little boy. So literally, they come to Jesus, and they hold up a happy meal, right? They say, look, we've got one kid's lunch. Here's a happy meal. It's all we've got. And Jesus says, great, go feed them. And they go, "Uh, Lord, you seen the crowd? 
I, I don't think you heard us. We, we have one happy meal, and, and we have this crowd to feed. Now, Jesus sees the crowds. The, the problem is the disciples don't see God's son. You see, they're looking at themselves. They're looking at what they have in their hand. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just looked at something in your hands and said, well, this, this is all I've got. I, I used to play basketball before I blew out my ankle, and that was the end of the career I was never going to have anyway. But if you put a basketball in my hand, it's worth about $20. But if you put that basketball in Tony Parker's hands, what's it worth? Millions. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> if, if you put a tennis racket in my hand, that's worth frustration. You know, I, I can hit the ball over the fence, not the net. But if you put that in Serena Williams' hand, that's, that's a Wimbledon championship or any other great title. If, if you put a, a slingshot in my hand, well, that, that results in trouble, right? But if you put a slingshot in David's hands, it can slay Goliath. If you put a, a staff in my hand, I can maybe stir up a little trouble. If you put it in Moses' hand, it can part the Red Sea. If you put some nails in my hand, I can build you some things. But if you put the nails in the hands of Jesus Christ, it equals salvation as he went to the cross to die for us. You see, it all depends whose hands it's in. And when it comes to the little boy's sack lunch, a happy meal in their hand doesn't amount to much. But when you put a happy meal in the hands of Jesus Christ, he can do enormous things with it. As you look at your life today, what is in your hands? As you look at the time, the talents, the treasures that you have, do you ever look at it and just say, you know, this, this can't do much? But brothers and sisters in Christ, if we will take those things and we will put them in the hands of Jesus Christ, he can multiply them. As he's about to do with this happy meal in his hands. Look at verses 39 through 44. It says, and Jesus commanded them all to sit down by groups in the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. He broke the loaves and he kept giving it to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. Now look at this. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Now we call this the feeding of the 5,000. But the Greek word that is used here is not anthropos. Anthropos is a Greek word that can mean just men, but it can also mean men and women. Now, if you want to talk about just men, there's a, a word that you can use, which is Andres, which designates there were 5,000 males. And that's what we read here. So what that means is there were 5,000 men as well as women and children and others. So this crowd very easily could have been 10,000 or more, not just 5,000. And verse 41 tells us, And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. Now, as God, Jesus could have simply just multiplied the meal right there. But it says that he took it, and what did he do? He huddles the disciples up, and he says, Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. 
and he looks up to heaven and he prays. Now, he's God. Like I said, he doesn't need to do this. There were times he just spoke and miracles happened. But in this instance, he says, I'm going to point you to where you need to go. Are you looking at me? Are you looking at the limited resources? This is what you need to do. You look to God. And he prays. And he says, God, would you take this and would you use it? And he begins to multiply it. Now, as he's putting it in their hands, we said that this crowd is at least 5,000, probably double that. If you've ever been to the AT&T Center downtown where the Spurs play, you can imagine the arena being at least half full, if not more. So the entire lower area of the arena, the floor seats, that whole lower section is all full. And so you and 12 guys are standing center court. There's you and 11 others and Jesus. So there's 12 of you with Jesus standing center court in the AT&T arena. The, the place is half full at least. All the concession stands are closed. Nobody's eaten all day. The crowd is hungry. And Jesus is standing there with you center court and he points up and he says, see that section, that's yours. You're going to go feed them. And you, you're going to go feed them. And you, you're over here. And you, you're over here. And because of the size of the crowd and the number, they've got multiple sections each. And again, you're sitting there going, "Uh, Lord, all we have is one, one sack lunch. But it says Jesus begins to multiply them after asking God to do it. And so you come to the Lord, you stick out your hands, and he loads you up, literally. Remember, it says that he told the people to sit down by groups, 50s, 100s, other things. So you imagine you've got section 101, and Jesus has filled your arms, and he says, go up there to 101. You fill that. You, you've got section 103. Head over there. You, you're in 105. And so you're, you're hitting these sections. You go up. You've got 50 or 100 meals. You drop it in front of the people, and you look, and you say, well, there's another half of this section, and I still have this other one I haven't even got to, and my arms are empty, so what do I need to do? Well, I need to go back to center court. I need to walk to the Lord, and I need to say, I'm all out. And Jesus says, here you go. He loads me up again. I head up. I feed the people. I come back, empty arms. He fills them. I go back. I'm able to feed that group. They're empty again, more need. How many trips back and forth do you think it took before the light went on? Before the disciples realized, I can't do this. But if I go to God to get what I need, then I can meet the need of these people. And you see, that's what Jesus was doing with these guys. He could have very easily just spoken and everybody had a meal in their their hands. But what he wanted to do was get them to understand where their dependence was. He wanted them to understand that without the Lord, they can't do it on their own. You know, I've learned a long time ago, if I try to meet needs of the people I pastor based upon what I can do, I can't do it. You know, with all the needs that have been happening these past couple of weeks, I'm not doing it alone either. We have a great pastoral team that has been in the gap with me. We have a great elder board that has been in the gap. But even then, you multiply the amount of leaders and others that we have, it's not enough. It's not enough, and there's a reason for that. God doesn't want us doing the ministry. He wants us equipping the saints to do the ministry. You know, not this past Saturday night when I was with this family that just lost the mom and wife. The previous Saturday night, I got a call at 6 o'clock and had to go to the hospital where Sherm Matthew had been care flighted. You probably saw in the news 
where he was in this donkey cart that a drunk driver ran over and he and uh, two children and some other adults were taken to the hospital. He and a three-year-old child were care flighted because they were the, the most severely injured of the group. And early on, uh, I was the one who was there, but then in time as the phones, as we started calling people and things, people started showing up. And it wasn't just me trying to minister. And at one point, I was running between the sixth floor ICU where Sherm was and the seventh floor where these children were in the ICU who didn't yet have a pastor or a priest or anybody there to take care of them. And so I'm trying to minister to two sets of families, two sets of needs, people I've never even met. And again, you can't do this stuff on your own. And Jesus wants us to understand that. You know, what I've learned a long time ago is if we try to do things on our own, we're like an Aggie faith healer. And you know what an Aggie faith healer can do? He can make a blind man lame. (laughs) I guess there's an Aggie here today. You know, there's a saying, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit yelps. So I don't know if that applies to the Aggie who just hissed at me. But when, you, when we try to do things alone, you know, some of us here this morning are lame because we've been trying to do it alone. We've been trying to meet the need alone. And so we're kind of like the disciples running back and forth, back and forth. But what we're forgetting is the important step where we've got to go to God to get what we need to meet that need. And some of you here are doing ministry based upon what you can do, and you can't do it. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives us the image of a vine that bears fruit, and it abides. It says if we abide in him, this picture of being rooted in him, Part of our vision statement, we are rooted in the word, the living word, Jesus Christ, as well as the written word. And as we abide in Jesus, it says, then we will bear fruit. Jesus says here in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't say some things. It says nothing. And this is what he wanted the disciples to understand. You know, some who are here today have never started to serve. And for some, it's because you're, you're sitting here saying, you know, I've, I've made such a mess of my life that there's no way God could use me. There's no way that, that God would want anything to do with me. You know, another wonderful thing happening here at Wayside, if you come to the second service, you'll, you'll see the group of ladies. They're from Grace House. This is a group of women who have overcome addiction and prison and other things. And they're now in this program to uh, grow them in their faith and their walk and train them and release them back into society so they don't go back into recidivism and become just another statistic. And I was at this conference here in in town over at Grace Point this week on Thursday and Friday, a church-wide training conference. And those ladies were there serving. They were there uh, with 800 other pastors and leaders in the community. They were the ones opening doors. They were the ones serving refreshments. They were the ones greeting people and giving information. And they were serving the shepherds and other leaders who were being trained to do ministry better. And it would be very easy for people to look at people like this and say, God can't use you. You know, I, I went to a lunch at Grace House one afternoon and sat down and just answered questions for them and taught them the Bible, and they were hungry and they were excited and teach us more, and do you really have to leave? And some of you are sitting here today saying, you know, God dang, can't use me. Roger, you don't know my background. 
Now, I don't know your background. I know some of your backgrounds. I know some of the mess you've been through. But what I do know for every one of us here is Romans 5, 8, where it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God said when you were at your worst, when you were far from me, when you had no hope of redemption, I died for you. He said, I didn't love you this much or this much. I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide and he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Friends, the nails didn't hold him there. It was his love. And he said, I love you this much to die for you and to hit the reset button and to restore you and use you. If you're willing to place your life in my nail scarred hands and be used by me. Sometimes what people do is they they look at their hands and they say, well, you know, Roger, what what God has put in my hands isn't much. You know, when the spiritual gifts were being given, I got a white elephant gift, right? My, My gift isn't as good as yours. I can't teach like you or I can't do this or that. You know, when I was on the floor of ICU last Saturday night uh, approaching midnight last week, some of the families that were there were not there to read scripture or pray or try to offer questions. They were there simply just to sit. They were like Job's friends. You know when Job's friends were most helpful? It's when they came and just sat and didn't say much. And there were people who were there just sitting with these families on both floors that were hurting and saying, we don't know what to say, but we we just want to be here with you. And then there were those like T.A. and Darlene Strader of our church who said to Delee Matthew, uh, you don't need to go home tonight and be by yourself. You're coming to stay at our house. And they took her home. You see, if you had just had major surgery and you were released from the hospital in your home and I come to your door and I knock on the door and I say, well, you know, I've noticed you've missed church a couple weeks and so I'm here to preach those sermons you didn't hear. You're thinking, you know, Roger, that's wonderful, but really right now, I don't need that. You know, what I really need is a meal. And you may be somebody who's sitting here saying, Roger, all I, all I have is the gift of mercies. You know, all I can do is, is clean the house or, or bake something or sit with you. You know, what you need to be fed at that moment is a nice meal, not a meal from God's word. The Bible says that God has created the body with many members and different parts, and we all can't be the head or the mouth or the hands or the feet. He says, what kind of body would that be? And as you look at your life, as you look at the gifts that God has given to you, he's given each of us here a different gift for a different purpose. And as you look at your life and your hands, you have to ask yourself, what are you doing with what God has given to you? 1 Corinthians 12.22 says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In the miracle we've been looking at, no one would have eaten that day if the little boy had simply said, you know, all I've got is a few stale rolls and some stinky sardines. Nobody wants this lunch. He took what he had and he placed it in Jesus' hand. And verse 42 says, all the people ate. Now look at it. It says, not just a little snack, but it says, until they were satisfied. They were full. As the disciples kept coming back with another load, uh, finally people were saying, thank you. I'm full. I can't, not another bite. You know, as we talk about meeting the needs of people, I think one of the things that keeps some of us from doing that is that we are afraid that when we serve God, he will forget about us. 
But I don't want you to miss the fact that the needs of the disciples were also met in verse 43. Look at it. It says, and they picked up 12 full baskets of broken pieces and also of the fish. Do you remember how many disciples there were? How many? 12. How many baskets? Jesus didn't forget about the disciples. They feed everybody, and the whole reason they went away, it says there were so many people, they hadn't even had time to eat. And when it's over, Jesus says, guys, I have a lunch for you too. Full baskets, overflowing. You're going to get to eat till you're satisfied as well. Jesus didn't forget about them. And you know what I found often is when I am meeting the needs of others, my needs end up getting met. When I prepare a sermon to preach, do you know that I get fed during the week as I'm preparing the message? You guys usually only get about this much of it. I can only come up with about six full pages to preach, and there's usually 16 to 18 pages that I have to go, now what do I preach, and this doesn't ever get here. So I get to have meals you all never get. Some of you go to encourage somebody, and you know that you end up leaving more encouraged than the person you went to encourage. Have you ever had that happen? When we are meeting the needs of others based upon God's power and ability, we get our needs met as well. God is not going to forget about us. As we end today, I want to ask you a question. Are you going to God to get what you need to meet the needs that we face? Brothers and sisters, you may not be standing center court of the AT&T Center, but you are in the center of San Antonio and Castle Hills, Texas right now. We are in the epicenter of one of the largest cities in this country and one of the biggest counties in this state. And Wayside's ministry doesn't just touch this city or this community. It touches the world through the missionary partnerships and the other things that we're doing. And we have to ask ourselves, are we trying to do it based upon our abilities, our resources? Are we simply saying, God, we are are the stewards. You are the owner of it all. And we are going to take what you've given to us, our time, our talents, our treasures, and we're going to put them in your hands. And when we take that happy meal that we have and we put it in his hands, he is able to multiply it and meet ministries beyond anything we could imagine if we do it based upon dependence on God. So in today, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to... Have you just think for a moment, if you're trying to do it alone, and if you are, I want you to commit yourself anew to saying, God, I need your help. Or God, I'm willing to take what I have and to put it in your hands today and to be used by you. Rejoin me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we talk about needs, we want to thank you for meeting the greatest need any of us would ever have. That of a Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you saw that we were helpless and without hope and you were willing to send your son and that you, Lord Jesus, were willing to come and to take our place and to die for us. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that instead of thinking of giving today, they would receive, that they would receive this free gift of eternal life through you, Jesus Christ. And Father, for the rest of us who have come to know your son, would we be those who turn to your son in dependence? To say, God, we can't do it on our own, but through you, you can take the happy meal we put in your hands and you can multiply it and you can meet countless needs all around us. So, Lord God, we commit ourselves to you today. 
We turn over our life, our time, our talents, our treasures once again to you, and we give them to you to meet those needs. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.